Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore Podcast. Silvercore has been providing its members with the skills and knowledge necessary to be confident and proficient in the outdoors for over 20 years, and we make it easier for people to deepen their connection to the natural world. If you enjoy the positive and educational content we provide, please let others know by sharing, commenting, and following so that you can join in on everything that Silvercore stands for. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a member of the Silvercore Club and community, visit our website at silvercore.ca. Today we're joined by a former 3rd Battalion Parachute Regiment soldier, Special Forces counterterrorism expert and base jumper extraordinaire. He's led a life defined by bravery, determination and an unyielding thirst for adventure. We'll explore the mindset required to face danger head on, the lessons learned from life on the edge, and the deep connection between courage and adrenaline. Welcome to the Silvercore Podcast, Jamie Flynn. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a really interesting introduction. <laughs> sounds like a good dude. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, good guy for sure. So you've got, you know, I'm, I look at your social media feed and I'm envious of some of the very cool things that you're doing out there. You're jumping off the chief in a, in a squirrel suit, you're, uh, uh, base jumping, uh, doing a lot of these high adrenaline things, which I don't know if I'd ever, you know, I, I enjoy pushing myself. I don't know if I'd ever find myself in doing that. You never know. We'll see. But I'm curious about your background and what kind of led you to this adventurous lifestyle. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in a really crap area in England called Slough. Okay. Uh, it's just outside of London. Yeah. It's a really rough neighborhood. Um, come from a really bad council estate. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We come from, as you'd imagine, a broken home. My family all broke up pretty young. Um, yeah. It's, it's not the best upbringing. I'll be honest. And my parents broke up when I was like nine and I was actually funny, weirdly enough, it's not actually funny. Yeah. yeah. My, my real mum dropped me on the side of a highway and then I got with a black bin bag and a, another truck driver pulled up and got out and he was like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, well, oh, my dad works for this company. And I was like, how the hell did this happen? So yeah, he calls, uh, he calls them on the, this old CB radio and they, however they managed to get this phone call to happen. They got my dad on the phone and, yeah. um, yeah, pretty sure. And then I moved in with my dad pretty shortly after, but he was a long distance truck driver. Wow. And that's how my life started was, you know, just being abandoned by my biological mum, Um, and then moving in with a woman who worked at my dad's company, uh, who was the secretary at the time. And yeah, my dad and her didn't have a relationship at the time. So. How, how old were you? I was nine or just turning 10. So that's about 20, 26 years ago, almost on the date, I think, if, uh, if Facebook was right. If yeah. Facebook was right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like two days ago or something. Yeah. Does, uh, that, does that something that, uh, that date comes up and it sticks in your head? Oh yeah. 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 It's like, it's a pretty unique date because it's, it's, you know, you grow up and imagine that you're, you know, you're going to be with your family and that's how it is. But you're, you know, the person you trust the most is actually the one that abandoned you, you know, and that's, 
kind of weird and sticks with you. And I think it's probably got something to do with how my life has turned out. Um, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I think that would have some impact for sure. Did you ever have any communication with her after that or was, was that what it? That uh, it? A, little, a little bit here and there, but like it was so broken. It's just, yeah. Man. Eventually I just was like, no, she, she reached out a couple of times when I was in Afghanistan and whatever. And I'm not really interested, you know. So as a youngster, prior to that happening, uh, would you seek out risky things or were you kind of more risk adverse? No, I, was, yeah, I had no interest. Like I was scared of roller coasters. I was scared of everything. Like it was weird. It was like, I didn't really get, get into that much trouble until like I got into my teenage years and. Um, that lady that I lived with and my dad end up getting together, obviously okay. that normally happens. Tends to happen. <laughs> Tends to happen. Um, but, and then we moved down to a place called, uh, Deal, which is just north of Dover. Okay. Yeah. So it's a nice area and it was actually kind of a cool place to grow up and I got into skateboarding pretty young. Okay. Yeah. And skateboarding is one of those sports where you can't just pick it up and be good at it. Not at all. No, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep falling over. You keep after smashing your face on the ground. You have to keep hurting your wrists and your ankles and your legs and break bones and everything else. So it's one of those where it's just like you have to keep getting up and over, doing things over and over and over again until finally you can actually do what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that that's probably where my mindset has come from, being maybe a little bit angry from where my you know, childhood first started to then the skateboarding that gave me the tenacity of just keep doing something until I've got it and the focus. And Isn't know. that funny that the adversity of just not being successful at something and having something, like some people will find that in a musical instrument, but it doesn't seem to have the same end result. You don't see a lot of special forces people who really like playing the guitar or are excellent flautists or pianists. <laughs> or, um, I mean, uh, ex Navy SEAL, Andrea Arbito, I, I asked him, I said, like, if you didn't go the route that you did, uh, what do you think you'd be doing? He said, oh, I'd probably be a pro skater. <laughs> <laughs> and he's runs a company, half face blades, they make knives and he's got his, um, uh, half pipe in a little skate park inside his building that they have there. But, uh, uh, yeah, there, there definitely is a, um, a resiliency that comes from, from the failure, the repeated failure and success. And skateboard is one of those things. I got a lot of friends that were like skateboarders as kids and, yeah. and are now successful in life. And the weird thing is skateboarding hurts, mm. like really hurts. It's not just like, totally. oh, my feelings are hurt. Like this actually hurts your body and therefore you're like, you become tougher you become more like driven to get what you need to do, you know? And you, and you do see people quit skateboarding. And I did watch that when I was growing up, like, oh, this is too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember just being like, no, this isn't too much. This is awesome. But you wear like a badge, right? You got a broken arm, you got <laughs> scabs all up and down your arms and legs. And yeah, that's uh, a part of the, uh, I, I guess the, uh, the bravado or the badge that you can wear with skateboarding. I know yeah. I've. I got an electric skateboard that I ride around on. Oh, that's a lot of fun and uh, a couple long boards. And this summer I thought, you know what? I'm going to learn how to do it ollie properly. <laughs> and still working on it. It doesn't look good, but, uh, but working on it. It doesn't have to look good. You just got to be doing it. You just got to do it. So then, uh, so nine years old, I had got into high school, started skating and you said, I know what I want to do. I, I want to enlist. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I wanted to, it's weird. I want to be a Marine first, just because I come from this Marine town, and that's disgusting. I'm really I'm <laughs> disgusted that I literally <laughs> even said that out loud. <laughs> I'm so glad I made a mistake. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I came up, like, Deal is actually, like, where the Marines used to be in, in England. Um, so that was, you know, where I wanted to, what I want to do, because all these adults and all, when I was in the cadets and everything, they were all Marines, and mm. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I couldn't, I wasn't, you know, I was 15. I couldn't put on the weight, you know, that mm-hmm. they required. And I was like, wow, this is, this is yeah, just not going to happen. And then I watched a, a movie called Bravo 2-0. Oh, yes. And the whole, which is a long story, because actually now I'm, I'm friends with uh, Chris now, nowadays. But uh, interesting. it's quite interesting how, like, that movie gave me, like, the insight of wanting to join. And then on there, some, you know, one of the guys was an ex-para mm-hmm. and, I looked into it, read the books, and I was addicted to like reading all those books at the time. And totally. the, the para books started to come up. And then Band of Brothers came on, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, you know what? Like, have you seen Saving Private Ryan? They get off the boat and they all die, shoot, get shot out off the boat, or you get the guys jumping in the parachute and actually, like, I know, 80% of those actually land. <laughs> I was like, hey, odds <laughs> <Okay. Pilots> are <laughs> in their favor. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, and you get jumped from the sky. Um, but the problem was around that time, I was like, I didn't like roller coasters. Right. I didn't like, like, how am I going to do this adrenaline fill life and be a soldier and, you know, when I'm scared of everything? Right. And that, I had no idea what I was going to do. So you were a cadet? Yeah. At, at what age? Uh, 12 or something, 13. Yeah. And yeah. then you had your, yourself pushed a bit, some challenges through the cadet system and a bit of a flavor for what the, um, uh, the forces look like. Yeah, the soldier inside of it was interesting. Like, you know, I knew, I, part of me knew as a kid, like, this isn't what soldiering's like. Totally. You, you know, but the other kids that I was with believed it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can buy into this a little bit, but the reality of life is a little bit different. And mm-hmm. maybe that's where, like, being younger and having that, that, that crap upbringing, especially from the council states, like you have a real understanding of be a bit more streetwise than the nice people from deal. Right. You know, so I, I come from like, my mindset was slightly different anyway. Um, and then when I spoke to one of the Marine guys, you know, the cadets instructors about it, I was like, what, what is it actually like? Like it can't be just running around shooting guns all the time because mm. like we're not at war. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, uh, I guess you went to the recruiting office. Did they give you one of those uh, train passes to go down and spend a weekend with the uh, with the regiment and see what it's all about? No, I actually did this. We had to do work experience at school. Okay. That's part of the thing in the UK. You have to do uh, like a few days work experience with something to graduate when you're 16. Okay. Um, and I managed to get my way into the, uh, to the PWRR. Or what we like to call PW ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, they were the local regiment and they had these work experience. So we go out oh, on yeah. like a, a week exercise with them and learn about soldier. And I was like, now this is more like, this is, this is completely different. This is a big boy game now. And, mm. and all the guys there were running us around and, you know, just doing field craft and, and basic stuff. And I was like, okay, this is, this is actually what I want. So, and then every time I kept saying like, oh, well, I want to be a para, I want to be a Marine. They yeah. were just like, they laughed at me. Yeah. And I was like, why are you laughing at a kid? Like, <laughs> I've read like, the books. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how hard can it be? Right. Yeah. And they then made us do this like mile and a half run, 
Yeah. And the powers thing is like nine thirty is like the cutoff. And mm. I think when I did the work experience, I was way over that. Okay. Like way over. And and they were like, So you want to be a power, but you can't even make the basic time. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, nope. And then I went home and I was pretty distraught. Yeah. And said to my parents, like, this is, you know, how am I going to do this if I can't even make the basic time? And? Uh, we looked up a triathlon club. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and, yeah, well, I, I just didn't stop. I was so focused on running this this mile and a half uh, that I got it down pretty quick to nine minutes. Yeah, and I would go do the PT at, or RPE lessons would always be at the top of a hill. Okay. So we'd have to run, like walk from the bottom of the hill to the field and then we'd play football or rugby or whatever we're doing for PE. And I decided that I'm now going to run this hill every day for PE. Yeah, and I convinced one of my friends, David, yeah. to, I was like, hey, this is a good idea. Do you want to do it? And he's just <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you know, trying to get these like 15-year-old kids to come running with me and... Um, anyway, like he, he was, he was like, yeah, okay. And then did it a couple of times a week with me. And then the rest, I did it on my own. And over time, I think I gave my cardio up and, uh, went to the gym and I started playing rugby a lot more. Uh, that'll help. Yeah. A lot of, and then skateboarding harder and longer. And I think all these things added up to eventually when I did go to the recruiting office and, and go in, I walked in, I was like, I want to be a para. They were like, <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, why is everyone laughing at me? <laughs> and bear in mind, like, I was super skinny. I was probably like 70 pounds piss wet through, you know. It was just mm. like, it, you know, you, you didn't wait. You didn't look like it. It was like, I didn't really look that tough or anything. And they were like, okay, if, you, if that's what you want to do. And they, you're in the UK, they make you uh, pick three different regiments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to... Uh, where you want to go so like whatever the, your first second uh, third choice and i was like well i just want to be a para so i put first battalion and parachute regiment second battalion parachute regiment, <laughs> third battalion and parachute regiment that's uh, awesome um they were like you can't do that and i was like i just did i just did <laughs> <laughs> and they were like okay here whatever you know yeah. go down see what you can do and when you it, you know when you don't make that grade um we can always come back and change those answers. And I was like, wow, that's, you know. Well, yeah, thanks for the support. Yeah. I was like, why are you not supporting? They're like, but you could do PWRR, that's your local regiment. And this is, and they were very pushy on on mm. me joining that unit. And, and they go, well, you can always go through and do P company the other way and, you know, do it later on and become a parrot that way. And I was just like, well, there's no way a unit that selects its members are ever going to accept people from, a different regiment right and i realized that you know straight away they're just feeding you a line just to get to where they wanted to yeah and i was like no nah, you know what? i'm gonna stick with my guns and i'm gonna be like i just want to be a mm. power so yeah went down to purbright and did our two or three day little fitness thing and yeah i wasn't at the front and i wasn't at the back i was in the middle but i made That's the grade okay. and yeah and it's like your doctor you go to the doctor's office you look on the wall were they top of the class or they just squeak through? They all get the same certificate on their wall. Yeah. Well, I definitely, uh, I was shocked because everyone was older than me. I was yeah. 16. Yeah. I, I was definitely just like 
eyes wide open. Like this is insane. Did you have uh, a goal in mind or where you wanted to go? I mean, like after reading the immediate action, Bravo two zero type books, standby, standby, whatever was SAS in the, in the, uh, the lights or something like that. Yeah. I'd say like, you know, trying to get in the SAS was probably one of those goals, but I think every soldier who joins has that goal. I would say quietly, secretly <laughs> in the back of their, their heads. Yeah. Um, and then the reality comes in later on in your career. Okay. Um, so three para and that, so you said SFSG, would that be what three para is, or is that a separate group within three para? No. So when I joined <clears throat> SFSG didn't exist. Right. Um, we just had the three battalions in our reserve battalion. Um, and we just, as you go through our basic training, which is six months of just randomness is the only way I could describe it because <laughs> it did seem like it, it, set, it sets you up. It's very physically demanding and and every day was crazy. They'd wake you up at three in the morning, two in the morning, screaming at you, just having you like box each other in the middle of the night, boxes it. Like we used to have like one man, one mattress used to get shouted a lot and everyone used to jump out of bed, grab their mattress and then you'd stand against the wall and take <laughs> and someone else would punch it. <laughs> um, there was a lot of stuff that was there. We had corridor Olympics that was, they'd <laughs> <laughs> have like four abreast in a little tiny corridor trying to race each other. Like there That's was some funny. random stuff. Like uh, even, you know, around this time, Bravo 2, like I said, uh, not Bravo 2, uh, Band of Brothers was on. So mm. there's, there's a really funny scene in that movie that will stick to me to this day. And it was when they got spaghetti. And they went down and they ate it all and then they ran up the hill and everyone was puking on the way up. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my instructors must have just watched that because they were like, we're going to recreate this. Like, I'm pretty oh, sure that's what they were doing. Fun. Because one night we had spaghetti and I'm looking at it and I was like, oh, this is I know what's this, happening next. <laughs> and the first guys came through <clears throat> and as we're coming into the line of the cookouts, uh, they're dumping food on us and... When they got to the end of the line, the first guys just had their, their food dumped in the bin. So they didn't actually eat anything. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. And then they were told to run outside. So the first couple of guys in the line didn't get any food. So I was just like, as soon as it got dumped onto my plate, I just started eating. Mm. Yeah, and we got to the lane and then just got dumped out and I grabbed an apple. Yeah, that was just that. I ran outside and gave it to my buddy who was the first one. Yeah. And I got caught doing that. Whoops. Yeah, they, oh, they were like, Flam, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, <laughs> uh, just stood there and they were like, no, no, what were you doing? I was like, oh, I, did, I saw that he didn't eat and I grabbed him an apple. Mm. That, that's stealing. Oh yeah, that's stealing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh fuck, here we go. Yeah, so the next thing is we're all push up position down. We're waiting for everyone to think, everyone else is doing the same thing now, like eating their spaghetti as we go. And we're all doing push-ups outside, waiting for the last ones to come out. And they're like, no one ever steals from us, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and I thought, there we go. And now the next thing is we go to this hill and we're just like running up and down this hill all night while everyone pukes. And <laughs> yeah. And at that time it felt like it was my fault because I was the one who stole. Yeah. So, theft. That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now it's like, it's now, it's now my fault. Like they had a reason to punish us. Yeah. And I was that reason. So. Gotta um, love those mind games. <laughs> eh? <laughs> and there was, there was times, you know, throughout the, you know, my training that they were trying to get rid of people. Mm. You realize there was so many people wanting to be powers. They needed to weed it down to, before we get to week 19, which is P company. 
um, which is a, a bunch of tests. But they need to weed that, those numbers down and, uh, and separate the, the men from the boys. And th all the way through, you'd have people just leave randomly. You'd come back to the block after doing some PT and there's like two beds missing, you know, mm. or two bed space packed up and gone. So that was a, a unique feeling because I was, you know, I now can't remember those guys' names. And I remember at the time that they were really good friends of mine. Right. You know, and that's weird in my mind. There's like, fuck, I don't remember you got, you, those names. Well, you've, you've, heard, you've heard of type one fun, type two fun. Yeah. Okay. So this sounds like type two fun. Like you can look back with fond memories and say, look, there was a good challenge and I made it through it. But while you're doing it at the time, did you recognize this as something that you enjoyed or did you hate the, uh. No, I hated this. Like every single <laughs> moment, like I hated this. So how did you mentally prepare yourself for each day? <clears throat> uh. I just woke up and I was like, okay, just get through the day. And it was just one day at a time. And six months, uh, it's just like, okay, another day, another day. And it's just like, if I, I was like, eventually, if, you know, these days will all be done. Mm. Like, I can't be here forever. Right. Even though at the time I remember, like, I was 16, I was like, it feels like I'm going to be here forever. That's a big part of your life, six months at 16, yeah. right? Well, That's it's even, it's different to that because <laughs> I was actually a, uh, we have a thing called Army Foundation College. So we're actually, when I first joined, I didn't go straight to the depot. Mm. Yeah, I actually went to this Army Foundation College in Harrogate. Okay. And we spend a year there learning how to soldier, try and build up our academic, you know, qualifications. We're only 16 years old. Mm. Yeah, so they put us through some schooling and whatever else. And at that time, is it's a year long. And then at the end of that year, then you've got another period to go to the depot and actually be an adult soldier as well. So it's almost like a year and a half of training. Wow. So even though the first part of the year of the college isn't as difficult, you were expected a lot more. Because um, <clears throat> if you said, oh, I want to be a para, the standard's like, you have to be at this level all the time. But how do you be at that level for an entire year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You feel uh, like giving up? Oh, plenty of times. Like during the Harrogate phase, I never thought about giving up okay. because nothing was like too crazy hard. Mm. Yeah. And during that time I had a, an instructor there called Brian Budd and um, Brian Budd later on went on to win a Victoria Cross and he was actually my instructor and every single day he would come in and he was very like stoic and, and would say something, you know, inspiring, expi yeah, inspiring. <laughs> You're just like, wow, how do you, how are you so fucking cool? <laughs> but, you know, and, and it was like a, a figure that would then mentor you through and it wasn't as aggressive as Depot. Mm. And then I went to Depot and, and then it was a different ball game. They're like trying to get rid of you. Yeah. So AFC is trying to build you up to be a soldier from a 16-year-old boy and, and Depot is trying to destroy you and try and get you out of there so they can select who they want out of their you know, selection process. Were there any pieces of wisdom that you were given or that you had that helped you through that? Just every, you know, one day at a time. And that's it, eh? Yeah, I just remember that, just one day at a time. And that's probably what stuck with me in depot until I did want to give up. Now, our crew were, or our depot crew, when, when, they, when you wanted to leave, you could leave at any time. <laughs> you just had to fill out a McDonald's application form. 
<laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I was like, this is psychological abuse. And to be honest, out of everything that was hard, mm. it was signing that bit of paper to go to McDonald's was actually the one thing that kept me from not wanting to do it. That's interesting. And I remember going, I didn't sign the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what, there's another thing you used to do, used to hang from a, um, you know, pull-up bar. Okay. So you'd knock on the door. You're like, I want to leave corporal. And they're like, up on the bar. <laughs> up on the bar and then read through your McDonald's application form to make sure you're good. So were you up on that bar? I was up on that bar. How many uh, times? Once. Okay. Uh, but I didn't fill out the McDonald's application form. And they were like, you haven't done anything. I was like, I want to leave. And I, but I didn't fill it. And so they like shouting at me like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> they're like, fling, get away. Fuck off. Mm. Yeah, and I was like, okay. So I got at the bar and ran off, and then I got shouted down that evening, and it was Brian Budd on the phone. Yeah, and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I want to leave Corporal. He's like, why? He's like, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. What are you talking about? It's too hard. Of course it's hard. Like, you're not going to be in power without it being hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you managed to do Harrogate, and I think you're, you know, you'll be good enough just you gotta believe in yourself and he goes uh just look up at the corporal and i looked up at the corporal and my application to leave he just ripped up awesome. and and i was like oh he goes uh and then the phone hung up awesome and that was that so to this day the reason i was still in paradepo is because of bright bud wow and uh yeah and then my instructor at the time and he just looked at me and he was like flip fuck off that is cool. And so like, that stuck with you. That stuck with me, and I, and I remember that day. And that's probably my weakest moment I've ever been in my life of failing and giving up. And from that moment, I didn't, I was like, I'm also pretty young, mm. you know, and I'm like, well, I'm not even allowed to quit. <laughs> <laughs> How am I meant to quit if I'm not allowed to quit? And that, that psychological thing stayed in my head, and I was like, well, I'm not even allowed to quit. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and, and then I just went day by day, and I was like, well, I better get through this then. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. If quitting's an option that's on the table, okay, it's always sitting there in the back of your head. If they take that option away, you have no choice but to continue pushing through. Yeah. And things get easier. Oh, they do, and I like I gave up in the, the, the mindset of, like, I'm going to quit, and I just went day by day. And, and I, the only other thing that stayed in the back of my head is they can fail me. Mm. so it's got to be them now who fail me mm-hmm. yeah and in my mind i was like well i'm still scared of roller coasters i still haven't done any you know right. do and i'm gonna have to parachute at the end of this course like how am i gonna learn to parachute when I'm, I, I'm petrified and that that stuck in my mind too and i was like well the only thing i got going for me is that they they fail me and they uh they let they don't want me were you kind of secretly hoping when things got really hard that maybe they would fail you and that'd be an easy way out yeah sometimes yeah like when it was cold, wet, hungry, mm-hmm. miserable, snowing, I was dug into a trench and, you know, you're just like, what am I doing? Why, why mm-hmm. am I even here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, well, they might fail me. And that, <laughs> and it, it just, it's just one of those things. And, it, and I, but I refuse to lower my effort. Right. So it's like, yeah, they're going to fail me. But you know what? If they're going to fail me, I'm still going to stand there and be like, I'm going out on my shield. They've, you know, like mm. they, I put all the effort I could, but they didn't. It just wasn't good enough for their standard. Mm-hmm. And that's how, it, anyway, it, it backfired and I passed. <laughs> <laughs> it backfired. <laughs> oh, man. 
So gearing up for, <clears throat> for jumping, they, what, they work you through gradually higher heights of just on lines and kind of getting you up to it and then out of plane on a static line or how's that work? Yeah. So you do, during P company, there's a bunch of events that happen. This is our final like selection. Yeah. Um, and we have to do like 10 milers, 20 milers. And there's a thing called the Trinasium, which is a 60 foot scaffolding pole, you know, and there's a bunch of different obstacles on there, like an illusion jump that is like one set higher than the other. So it looks further away. Okay. Yeah. And you have to just like, you stand there and you just look straight ahead and the instructor's like, stand by, go. And then you just have to, as soon as they say go, you have to move. Mm. Yeah. If you get one uh, hesitation, they'll mark they you it. once and you have one more chance and then you're, go you're done. Oh, Climb okay. down and you're gone. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we, we did that and I just was like, oh, I'm not going to quit now. So I just ran and jumped these things. I was like, well, in my mind, I'm like, well, there's no way that these things are too far apart that people can't physically jump them. Mm. Hundreds of people have done this before me and hundreds of people are going to continue doing it after me. Right. So I was like, well, okay. And then there's one called the Superman jump. Okay. Yeah. And it's a huge cargo net that I don't know the distance from the actual ledge to the cargo net, but you have to run jump on this like seesaw so you have to like step one step and it, it like, puts you off balance yeah and these things are only like a foot wide okay. and you have to keep running and then eventually just jump off this like ledge arm out like a superman and then your arm goes through the cargo net and then you just catch it okay and i was like oh jesus christ i don't want to do this take yeah. some nerve yeah and i remember just stood there i did everything else like i was fine you you get up to the top you touch your toes and yeah and you're like whatever and then this Superman job, I was like, nah, this, I'm going to fail this. And I just looked up and I was like, when it, as soon as standby, what happened? I was like, okay, ready. And I still thought I was going to fail. And then when go happened, it just like instinctively I was running. Mm. And I was like, well, I guess the training works. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. And the next thing is I'm in the air and I got my arm out. And once I left that, that moment, it was, I think changed in me because after that, that week of uh, our selection, like I didn't feel as scared of everything. Was there a disassociation perhaps at some of these stages there where you're just, you just have to disassociate the mind from what you're actually doing until you can start combining them and kind of enjoying the process? Yeah. And like, I never enjoyed P company. I never enjoyed depot. I never enjoyed any of the army's, you know, selection mm. processes, you know, but looking back now, I definitely enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know, it brought me a lot more joy than I thought it would at the time. Right. Know? So. Push you harder. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you have a feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. And where other people quit, you know, when it starts getting hard, that's where people typically end up just, okay, I'm done. I'm quitting. And that's what separates the ordinary from the extraordinary. Yeah. That, and it's, it sounds bad, but yeah. I got, I got something out of watching someone quit. Mm. So. It's almost like I felt their like energy and then I just like, well, I watched someone quit on a 10 mile run, mm -hmm. uh, our, our boot march we called tabbing. Yeah. Yeah. And as I, as we're tabbing, I watched someone quit. Like I felt good. It's almost like I got their boost, the energy that they had left got into me and I was like, okay, cool. I can go now. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And it was like, it, oh, clearly it didn't happen. Well, but in my did mind. It, did it or didn't it? I mean, if you felt that. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just felt a bit of like. I'm still doing it. And that's a 28 year old man. Right. I'm, I'm 16, 17, you know, like this is cool. I, I can do this. 
yeah. And then you watch someone else quit and you're like, wow, he's 21. Yep. And I just kept getting the, like, the, the, the only way I describe it is like the energy of that person and be like, okay, I can now keep going. That's pretty cool because your mind is the thing that's going to separate you. You can go, you can endure a lot of pain, but if you're giving up in your mind, it sure makes it difficult. I, I just think if I'm going up in the hills and I'll just a tab, what tactical advance towards battle. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the listeners. Um, if I'm going out in the hills and I'm having a bad day, there's a lot on my mind and I'm having all these fights in my head and I'm drained. I'm going up the hill. I'm drained and I'm all this, everything other than what I'm supposed to be thinking about is going on in my head and it's a slog, but you do it. And other days you go up there and you're present, you're in the moment you're, and you're enjoying every step and you're just flying up. And if you can do that to yourself, if you're in the drain negative nine place mindset where you're thinking about giving up, but Hey, someone else just gave up, I'm going to absorb their powers or yeah. whatever it takes to have that little mind shift. I think that's a pretty cool observation. Yeah. Pretty it's powerful. It, yeah. And, it, and who knows, it's, it, there might be a, someone else who's more intelligent than I am could probably tell you what that actually is, <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely one of those, like, I, I still feel it today. You know, when you're hiking up the chief and you know, when someone's struggling in front of you and they mm -hmm. eventually get to overtake them and you're just like. I'm just going to walk a little bit faster than That's you That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they feel drained. They're like, how are you doing this? And yeah. you're going, just keep going yeah. and look normal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Been there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we all feel what I'm trying to, you know, yeah. explain, you know, in maybe different capacities, even in the gym, you know, you're, you're looking over and you're like, okay, I'm going to do one more rep. That person's looking at me. Yeah. That's it. I do <laughs> running. Okay. I'm so tired. I'm just going to take a break. Nope. Car's coming. Better run. <laughs> and that was always a game. And if cars kept coming, then I never rest. Right. Yeah. But if I am tired and there's no cars, that was my, okay, I can, I can have a little bit of a walk now. Right. But yeah. just, uh, interesting. So when, uh, working your way, what was your first jump like? Oh, my first jump. Jeez. Like, what did we do? Yeah, it was, it was out of a C-130. And yeah, I, it's weird because we go to, we finish our training, we do our pass and out parade. Mm. And then uh, you're meant to go to Bryce Norton and do your jumps. And then, you know, then you become like a winged, like paratrooper and everything else. However, the, whatever was going on with the C-130s at the time, probably budgets or whatever, there wasn't planes for us to jump out of. So we got straight, sent straight to battalion. Mm. Now, if you go to an airborne unit, yeah, as a young recruit with no wings, you are now a wingless bird. Uh, yeah. So they call you a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now for months, we were known as these fucking penguins walking yes. around. <laughs> and it was like the moment I thought, like, I'd done all this process. I knew I was going to be back at the bottom of the pile. I knew I'm going to have to, like you know, earn the respect from the guys in the battalion, especially the ones that are already, you know, you know, been to Iraq, been to Afghanistan or wherever they've been before. Um, and I turn up and I'm just like, I don't even have wings on my arms. You mm. know, and now it's like, not only we, I can't gain respect from anyone because I haven't even got these wings. <laughs> yeah. So we, I was in battalion for a little while before that. We even got to go on our drum course. Okay. Yeah. And eventually by that point, it didn't matter how scared I was of jumping. I was like, I need these wings. Can't like, be a I, 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 I can't be a peg anymore. Like I'm not going back to battalion without these wings. So 
Yeah. I don't really remember the first jump. I do remember not enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. As most paratroopers will tell you, they, they hate jumping. Yeah. Really? Especially rounds. Yeah. I don't, I haven't met many paratroopers that like military jumping. Okay. It's not. Why? It's too regimented. Well, know. getting in there is fine. You know that when the person in front of you starts moving, you're just moving. You, mm. you, you don't really hear all the like, standby go. Um, and you just run out the door and you just hit it. And, and usually it's like 800 feet or, you know, like operationally we can do anywhere from 600 to 1,000 feet is what, what we do in the UK. Okay. Uh, so I think on average we did like 800 feet jumps. And uh, by the time your parachute's opened, you've looked where you are, clear your airspace, lower your container. Mm. Yeah, you're almost like five seconds from the ground now and then you're landing and you're coming down 12 feet per second. So mm. it's like jumping off a really high wall. Right. Um, yeah, no real, like nowadays when I base jump, like I have toggles that can flare and I can tiptoe and land and everything. But mm. um, no, back then it's like 12 feet per second. It's like bang, feet, knees, head, everything, bang, that hurts. PTF. Yeah, <laughs> PLF. PLF, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Parachute landing for, but yeah. you can do it. You can practice all those PLFs all day, but like, yeah, no, they, <laughs> no, I mean, just keep, put your feet together and that's, and then what happens, happens. <laughs> yeah. I remember the saying, they say feet and knees together and hope for a good landing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that, that, that's good. And, and, and even at that point when I, you know, was parachuting, I never thought that this was going to become a major component of my life later on. Yeah. So. So you got involved in some counterterrorism work. Uh, yeah. So I, I, in free power, we, I went to Afghanistan in 2006. So mm. I got my wings and I went back to battalion and went, uh, we got told that we were going on pre-deployment and that was, uh, that was really quick. And I was mm -hmm. like, Jesus, okay. Next thing I'm in Oman and we're training out in Oman, getting ready for Afghanistan and Big thing at the point, Iraq was all over the news. Right. Yeah. It was Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. And I'm telling my parents I'm going to Afghanistan and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It was no, <laughs> no big deal. Like literally right. all my friends at home, like no one really thought about it. And yeah, they're like, okay, Afghanistan, but the, the wars in Iraq. Yeah. And right. it was, it was a unique thing. And we're like, well, we're going to be the, the first real operational tour in Afghanistan. And, and no one really expected anything. And I don't even think the battalion expected what was going to happen. Because we got issued Arctic gear. We had like full snow white gear. We had desert gear. We had jungle gear. We had green. Like we had bags and bags of gear just like wow. loaded up. And we were like, what are we actually expecting here? We had woolly. I don't even know half the stuff we got issued because <laughs> <laughs> it was just stuff I'd never seen before. And uh, yeah, we, we we went to Afghanistan in 2006 and, and landed and. Anyway, it was a lot warmer and we ended up ditching a lot of the Arctic gear pretty early on. No kidding. Yeah. So, but that, the, so the counterterrorism thing all came later on in SFSG. So right. it was that first deployment as a young 18 year old paratrooper was pretty unique because a lot of things have come out of that. Things that, like? Things like, uh, the instructor that I had who saved me from like actually quit in the unit, mm. uh, actually went on to win the Victoria Cross in that, in that deployment, the Victoria Cross being like the highest gallantry award in, in the UK and, and Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he did, I think he pretty much saved everyone in his unit that day. Wow. Um, his iconic, uh, 
they got pinned down in a in a field uh and eventually it all went quiet and no one knew why uh but it, with all all the stories of everyone who was close to him was he stood up and charged the three taliban and he was found dead with his bayonet fixed three dead taliban around him and his unit managed to uh, extract so his platoon extracted did a reorg and uh found out the bride was missing so they had to go back later on to find him and then that's where they found him but holy crew yeah so what a hero he is probably like a hero to me in many ways right um and you know i have him tattooed on my arm now you know so it's you know he's a, a good memory because he's like he's made i think he structured my life like when i was in the army to where I'm at today. Mm. He was also the first ever skydiver. Yeah. and He was? He, the first ever skydiver I met. Okay. Yeah, not the first ever right. skydiver. Um, but he was the first skydiver I met. And I remember talking to him about it before, he like, while in battalion. And then once he died, I had this like, <clears throat> I was super upset, obviously, and, and devastated and couldn't really control what was, you know, the, the emotions I was going through. But... Someone said to me, like, you need to, like, take his, like, memory and build something. Like, take something from him. Yeah, like, he, obviously, not just the memory of, like, him making sure you stayed in the unit, but take something else. Like, mm. what else could you take from him that, uh, that would benefit you and that would keep his memory alive? And at the time, I couldn't really think. <clears throat> and then one day, I was like, skydiving. I'm going to be a skydiver. Really? Yeah. And that's, and when I was on a different deployment later on, I did, uh, on our R&R, went down to the south of Spain and, and learned to skydive because Brian was this skydiver that, yeah, stuck with me. So. That's really cool. Yeah. For many reasons, like this guy, this one guy who was my first instructor in the army is like, you know, the reason I do a lot of things today. Isn't it crazy the impact that we can all have on people's lives? And they probably never know. They probably never know. Yeah. Do you think he ever knew? No. No. I, I mean, he probably knew that, like, you know, he, I mean, he knew because he came to my passing out parade when mm. I actually became a parry. I mean, he knew that that affected me, but did he, did he realize that that one day that kept me in the unit, like, stuck with me for the rest of my life and, you know, helps me, um, you know, even when I do deal with things today and I have you know, young people working under me that I can now, like... I remember that that moment and like how can I have that impact on the person who's coming to me now being like, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. One day, one moment, and such a small thing yeah. for him to give. Very cool. That's something that um I think that's something that we should all kind of think about. What what are we doing? How are we conducting ourselves? How are our little actions that we might not be thinking too much of? How is that impacting those around us who are looking up to us, who are watching us, who um, yeah, who, who need that level of inspiration. Yeah. And it's, and it's weird because it's like, there's things that you will do and you, things that you will say and that will stick with people forever. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but someone said, oh, I remember when you told me this. Uh, wow. Uh, 
I usually just keep my mouth like, shut. I don't actually remember saying that. And was I drunk? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but you said this. And yeah. I was like, wow, I never <laughs> never thought been, you were going to act on it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> may have been drunk, but it didn't diminish the... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Usually I'm just like, well, yep. <laughs> I just I rack my brain and I'm trying to remember. I think it might be an ADHD thing, trying to remember these things. Because like I'll ask my wife, I'm like... I, I don't remember all of these different events that people are telling me about yeah. and, uh, or, uh, I think I'm supposed to be mad at this person, but I don't know why. And she's like, oh, here's this laundry list. I'm like, oh yeah, like, yeah, I should be mad at that person. Right. But I just, I don't, I don't retain this stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. You're if like that too, eh? Oh, hundred percent. If it's not present and it's not affecting me right now, it's like, doesn't matter. You know, totally. Like, I like people might think I absolutely hate them and I'm like, Dude, I've not thought about you in years. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, right. That could I'm be like, worse, right? <laughs> I'm like, and it, it, it's good and bad. It's like, I also like, because then I have really good friends. Like, I have really good friends in the UK. Yeah. And it kicks me because I'm like, I see him pop up on Facebook. I'm like, oh, dude, I, I need to message you. you right. Know, like, because I've, I've been a bad friend, but it's not, I haven't been bad because I'm like ignoring you. It's like, <laughs> I've. I'm just like so focused on what I've got and I like, I lose, you know, I need to, I need to stay focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. It's not yeah, selfish. It's, well, the ADHD thing, they say, um, oh, easily distracted. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the other side is hyper-focus if it's something that's interesting or inability to, uh, break focus on certain things, whatever, however you want to term that one. I know you and I've talked a little bit about that in the past. I was diagnosed grade three ADHD, saw a bunch of different people for it and was put on an experimental dosage of Ritalin. Wow. Dad was a cop and he's like, I don't know what this Ritalin stuff is what everyone on the streets using, right? But, um, I was the highest dosage of Ritalin for the province and did that up until grade seven. And finally in grade seven, I'm like, I'm done. I'm taking myself off this cold turkey. I'm not going into grade eight. What did it do to you? Uh, well, there's two sides. There's what I felt and there's what like the teachers would report. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the teachers would say, did Travis take his riddle in today? Because I can sure tell there's something different, right? Uh, apparently I was a lot easier to work with, um, a lot more, uh, less outbreaks, outbreaks, uh, outbursts, um, and less disruptive in the class. When I was on the Ritalin, for me, it, uh, disrupted my appetite. It made me, gave me headaches like crazy. Um, I remember going outside at, at when school's over and looking around, I'm like, how is everybody able to open their eyes? I could barely see, like I'm squinting. It's so bright. How do people, and I never put two and two together that maybe it was the medication dilating the pupils and like, I'd stand out there forever. Just like, I could barely open my eyes and I'm looking at, am I getting a ride home today? Do I have to take the bus? What's going on? And, and um, but, uh, and of course in the social side, uh, someone would drop a Mentos or something in the class and. Teacher's like, oh, who's is this? Oh, it's a smart pill. That's Travis, the smart pill. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want these smart pills going into high school, right? Um, but you, um, uh, what outbursts, uh, consequences, thinking about consequences is a typical sort of ADHD thing. Um, it just didn't factor into my mind. Like you, how you said, well, if it's not right here, right now, right. I can think about the consequences associated with this in a short term sort of capacity, but I just do stuff and not think about how that affected my health tomorrow. If I jump off the roof today, right. If, uh, how it affects other people. So that was always a, an interesting one. Impulsivity. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can, uh, I, I guess I can relate to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I never got diagnosed with ADHD and only as an adult now I'm, you know, a bunch of these ADHDs, probably because I've thought about it. Now it's popping up on Instagram loads, you know, these videos and they're like, if you have ADHD, you've got this, 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 and this. You're like, oh yeah, that's me. So I start researching it. And then obviously as you research it, <laughs> more and more videos are pumped into Instagram. That's feed, right. And you're just like, oh yeah. And you're like, Every day you see it. Every day I see it. And I'm like, well, maybe I have this. And then I look at my Instagram feed myself and I'm like, yeah, I definitely have ADHD. Like, there's way, I'm high, doing way too much stuff here. There's high dopamine seeking, uh, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria is another thing that people with ADHD will experience. Yeah. Very and like I hung on to, like I hang on to people's sentences. Like if, if, if someone annoyed, you know, was annoyed with me, mm. they would say something or and then it would stick with me that sentence for like days. That's the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And I'm just like, why am I even caring what you think? You're an right. absolute idiot. Like I really like. <laughs> right. <laughs> someone said something about me the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a, a couple months ago, and it stuck with me for ages. And I'm like, you're an absolute idiot. Like, your job's worth. Like, I got no, I got no time for you. <laughs> like, I do not care why. Like, and then I like. Luckily, when I say that to myself, it's like that's the break. Okay, good. But I just remember, like, for a long time, it was just like, I was like, I'm getting annoyed with this person. And then when I eventually can, like, look in the mirror and be like, Jamie, it, this guy doesn't matter. You're like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And then you can move on with your day. But then these little things stick with you all the time. And yes. Yeah. The um, learning. You you made a post on in Instagram there before about, you know, I don't, I don't learn things traditionally or maybe I don't learn things quickly. And that can be something that people with ADHD will, will say or think, and it doesn't mean they're not smart. It doesn't mean they can't, but the traditional method for teaching sometimes doesn't jive with how somebody with ADHD will learn. And school system isn't set up to accommodate all these different sort of learning styles. Yeah. There's a, you know, like too much, but like right now when I was going through like the fire department recruitment mm. process, there's a lot of things you got to memorize. Totally. Like memory. And I'm like. I can't memorize stuff. I have to do, you know? And they're like, Hey, what's this? And you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Just give me a little bit more time. And I <laughs> promise, like I will work my ass off to make sure that I know what you need me to know. Mm -hmm. I just can't memorize stuff. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's sort of thing that I struggle with. So I feel like my learning is definitely, I need to get hands on things and, you know, and um, it doesn't, even people who come back with, the the most interesting facts about parachutes. Mm. And I've been parachute for a long time. Yeah. And I'm like, I have no idea what that material made up of. <laughs> like, like, I just know that if you jump this certain way, yeah, this is how you need to you do things. And I can tell you why, and I can articulate now why you need to do certain aspects in the sport. Yeah. But like, I'm not going to go down this route of like, it's made up of this F111 material, blah, 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 right. blah. Like, I don't really care. Like it's a material that clearly someone more intelligent than me can, can make and actually like, you know, yeah. let me do my job. You know, I, so Operation Pegasus Jump, I think you've, have you done that? I just did that this, this little bit. So, uh, a while back, friend said, you got to come on this Operation Pegasus Jump. I'm like, well, this looks neat. You know, I'm not a big fan of heights and, uh, but I've always wanted to do this, to push myself, to kind of overcome it. And what, what a perfect situation, right? So I, 
call up the, uh, the school there, what Campbell River, I Campbell think. Campbell River, yeah. Yeah. Call him up and he says, love to have you Trav, but this is for, um, active and, uh, past military and first responders, full stop. Well, I'm neither of those aside from cadets when I was younger, <laughs> right? But that doesn't count. And, um, so I'm like, okay, damn, I really wanted to do this program. Well, how about I go, like, if I wanted to go and just do this outside of Pegasus, is that something I could do? Oh yeah, not a problem. We start going down that road. I'm like, okay, how tall are you? Six, six. How much do you weigh? 250. Mm, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like you can parachute tanks. How come you can't parachute? But I guess you got to go tandem and I'm sort of on the threshold. And so I thought, well, maybe the ADHD kicked in. Like, I don't like not being able to do things and the challenge. So I'm like, I talked to some friends who are pilots and I said, if I picked up a parachute and I watched enough YouTube videos, would you let me jump out of your plane? Right? <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay. So I did the next best thing. If I can't get the plane, what if I just jump off of land? Right. And so I picked up a, um, paraglider. Uh, I got a swing Arcus two, I think they're out of Germany, uh, with a cross reserve on the thing. And I figure I'll just, I'll watch my YouTube videos. I'll get this figured out. It looks pretty easy, right? I seen Jamie do stuff like this. Right? <laughs> Come on. Um, and my kids are like, dad, we don't want to see you the fastest person going down to the ground, right? We want to, we want to, uh, kid, can you reach out and my wife as well. So I found a fellow here locally and he, can teach paragliding as an engineer. So I'm, he sends over an email, nice long email. And I wrote, okay, I read through all the information he's got in this thing. And then a while later I get another email. Okay. I'll leave, read that one later. Next morning I come back and I got eight more emails on top of that. I'm like, if it was really important, it would be an email number one. Right? <laughs> so, so I didn't read any of them. Right. And, um, other than the first one and I show up and doing the training with them and he's talking about things as if I knew what he's actually talking about. I'm like, just, just show me, right? Let's just spend a little bit of time. Super knowledgeable, super nice guy, engineer background, uh, very, like you're saying, what's a material made out of? What's this? What's a tensile strength? How do we calculate that? So I'm finding it challenging, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I've done a number of, uh, mountain jumps so far and, um, I found the, uh, the most nervy part was your first time just kind of working up to jump off the edge. Once you're up there, it's a process of just working your way through and flying the thing. And I mean, it seems pretty damn safe. And if it isn't, I could throw a reserve. So like, what do I have to worry about? Right. Um, sounds like we've got a sort of similar learning style in that respect. He's still having a tough time trying to figure out, uh, figure me out. And I'm having a hard time wondering why he charges $15 a ride up the mountain every time you go down. He's like, I'm preparing you for the culture. This is what they do. They give you, you got to pay them for a ride up. I said, well, but I paid you for a course. Like this is, anyways, I digress. Yeah. No, it's really funny because that sounds similar to my, uh, how I got into base jumping. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I was in, I was in the army and he met this guy, uh, Van Rensburg. He's a South African guy, had a big post on it all. Yeah. And this guy called Dukes. Yeah. I didn't know him at the time. Pretty good friend now. Um, but yeah, he was this jumping off a building, big yellow pants. And I was like, this is, that's cool. How do we do that? And he's like, oh, I do it. I was like, yeah, really? I was like, you're a lunatic. And he just <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, we'll, we will set up a bridge swing and we'll learn to jump. Yes. And I'm like, that makes sense. 
No, no, no. It actually doesn't make sense. Don't ever like learn from the way I learned to base jump. Okay. So, <laughs> so we, I did the bridge swing stuff as a teenager. So we, but we then, yeah, we did the little bridge swing, but we we went bigger. Okay. So we had all our ropes and we're setting up, we're drilling anchors and we're doing all sorts of stuff in, in a little town called Merthyr Tidville in Wales. And uh, yeah, we we're practicing jumping off this viaduct. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to base jump. But I was skydiving at this point and, you know, I had a couple hundred skydives. So I, I felt mm. comfortable under a parachute. And then I went to the skydive center. I was like, and I was like, hey, I want to learn the base jump. Everyone was like, no. And it was pretty old school back then. Everyone was just like, no, no, you got to be like, sucking these guys dicks the entire time buying them beers all the time going out <laughs> ground crewing for them tell them how amazing they are and i find it really difficult to you know like lick people's asses like i yeah it's not my really? personality <laughs> <laughs> like i'll respect you but as soon as you think that you're above me i'm like no nah. no nah, man you know we're good we're good like you, you're an equal right. um and you know and, and everyone's an equal but if you're if you're gonna sit there and pretend you're above me like Makes it tough. It makes it tough. So I, I can't respect you. So we were, you know, everyone said no. And I was like, okay, this sucks. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know what? I'll just do it anyway. Like how hard going to be? So I watched a ton of YouTube videos <laughs> and I was like, and everyone's like, oh, you know, I think Jamie's probably going to do this anyway. And, you know, someone came up to me and was just like, and actually a guy called Alistair. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine now. He was like, Jamie. You're going to die. I was like, well, that's funny because we're all going to die, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just yeah. like, no, no, you're going to die base jumping. And I was like, probably, you know, like there's a, there's a high chance of it. And he was like, no, no, not just like you're going to die base jumping. Like you're going to die base jumping because you're an idiot and you're going to like, you, you don't know what you're doing and you're, you're making a huge mistake. Mm. And I was like, are you going to help me? And he's like, no. Well, I was like, well, why are you here? Like if you, yeah. why are you here? What's the point? Yeah. And he, he, I ignored him and I left it and I went away and I was very driven and I was like, how do I do this safely? So I would like skydive and I was like, at the time I was already competing at a high level in skydiving. I was on the British skydive team and I was in a, in a discipline that is very similar to base jumping, but you're still jumping out of a plane mm. and, you know, the parachutes are packed the same. Not, you know, it's a, it's called canopy formation. So the canopies are packed differently than normal skydive rigs, but very similar to base jumper rigs mm -hmm. and the canopies fly the same. And you know, so I was like, okay, well, I'm getting close to this. And eventually one day I was like, okay, I'm going to do it tonight. So I got a friend that was in my unit and I was like, Hey, I'm going to do that base jump tonight. I think I'm ready. Mm. And we went up to this place in Wales and we climbed the tower and I went up and I was like, okay, this is it. 470 feet. And we just, he was like, are you ready? I was like, yep, let's do it. And I just ran off the tower, threw the little pilot chute, parachute opened, and I was like, that's it. That, that's it? That's it? Like, really? Did no you way. have to watch out for lines or anything else? Or? Uh, well, it was sort of overhung. and Okay. Yeah, and the parachute opened, and I was like, oh. And now it's just like skydiving. I just landed, and I was like, oh, that's not that special. And then I was like, okay, whatever. So I grabbed my gear. I was happy. I was stoked. Mm. I went back to the parking lot and then just turned on all the lights packed my parachute and went did it again. Mm. Anyway, this is a big no-no in the base jump. Pack, pack your parachute again right there. Yeah, right there. Like, okay. <laughs> and I went and did a second jump that night, uh, which is a big no-no because like in the UK, it's not not necessarily legal. So right. You're like, <laughs> you, just, you should be like getting your gear and disappearing. Yes. And there's me with all my lights on, <laughs> packing my parachute. So like the ethics went out the window and I was like, and I didn't know anything ethics otherwise. Mm. And then 
people weren't jumping with me back then. And, uh, you know, I was this young paratrooper who, like, my shit didn't stink, mm. you know. And I just kept, you know, me and my buddy, we just jumped everything that we could. And we just sort of taught ourselves and bounced off each other and, and survived the first probably year, year and a half of base jumping until I got paid to come over to Canada to teach a canopy formation course. So yeah. I went to Toronto yeah, and near Niagara and, and someone was like, oh, you know, I, I'm a base jumper. Towards the end of my course, I was teaching in skydiving mm. and he was just like, you're a base jumper? And I was like, yeah, he goes, why didn't you say anything? I was like, uh, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, everyone doesn't really want to jump with me in the UK anyway, because I'm like this idiot really <laughs> doing my own thing, not really following the rules. And then he goes, yeah. And so I told him the story and he's like, yeah, if you told me that, I probably wouldn't have taken your course. Mm. But now I've got to know you on this course. Like, I like you. I like the way you do things. And I can see how like rigid you are when you're teaching. So I'm only going to imagine this is how you are in base jumping. Yeah, he goes, tell me everything. And he sat me down and we had a beer and I told him how I did it and why I did it and why I did it this way and that way. And he was just like, that makes sense. But you're an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, okay. He goes, what we're going to do is, can you stay in Canada an extra couple of days? I was like, yeah, I can, I can stay another five more days. So I changed my flights. Yeah. And he went and borrowed a bunch of base rigs off his friends. And we went and did like four or five base jumps a night in around Toronto. He was like, I am going to get you to a decent level and then uh, then you go home and do your thing. So over the next five nights, but the one rule was he had to go to work during the day. Mm. So my job was packing all the parachutes during the day. Right. Which took me a long time. When, yeah. You know, so the, on average when you start, it's about an hour to pack a, a base jumping parachute. Wow. So it took me a long time to pack all these rigs. Um, and every night we'd go out and he'd teach me a new thing or two and then yeah at the end of it this guy brad actually like pretty much saved me base jumping and then i went back to the uk and i had an, a new outlook on ethics and and how you should be doing things and then i started reaching out to base jumpers and being like hey i totally did this wrong but this is where i'm at now and you know i'm trying to change the errors of my way mm. yeah so yeah i started off base jumping in a completely wrong way you know and you know trying to reinvent the wheel and the mm. world doesn't need inventing because it's already dangerous enough. Yeah, yeah so, no kidding. Um, yeah, over time, it, you know, I changed my my stance, and then years down the line, now I'm, uh, you know, I give bag once a year and try and teach someone or mentor someone, and you know, I don't want to teach courses. I don't want to do like make this a, a money maker. Right. But I believe I was very very lucky at the beginning that now is my time to you know I've, I've learned a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge over the years now to finally give back to the sport. Well, what happened over in Kamalia? Oh, Kamalia. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was crazy time. Okay. That was, so Kamalia is in Turkey. Yeah. Um, so around 2013, I decided that, uh, you know, I, I didn't like my body anymore and I decided to break my ankle, femur, wrist, elbow, shoulder, and a bit of a concussion <laughs> all in one jump. Um, a lot of this, it goes into cockiness and, mm. you know, arrogance and everything else. And my ego was massive at the time. Um, and so leading up to all of this, like, like I said, being a paratrooper, you, you get through a selection process. You're now like, you're the, you're the best of the best that they mm -hmm. had that selection. You've watched everyone leave. You're like, well, I'm fucking better than you. Mm -hmm. I've done this course. I'm better than you. Yeah. And you're drilled into that. Right. You, you're drilled into it all the time. Like you're better than everyone else. Mm. So cool. I believe that, 
yeah, then I got into skydiving and I was like on the British skydive team and I'm teaching people. So I'm like, well, fuck, I'm winning all the competitions in the UK. Like, must be better than most people. So, mm. And then I went to 2012, I went to the Base Jumping World Championships and I beat the guy that was in that poster in the big yellow pants. Yeah. <laughs> Me and him were in the, in the finals together. Wow. And that was like, I looked at him and it was just like a, I, I joined this sport because of your poster and now me and you are in the finals together. Wow. Going to jump. So that was really cool. Um, so that was a year before I got hurt. And anyway, he jumped, he landed and he hit dead, or what I thought was dead center. And then I beat him by two centimeters. Wow. Yeah. And that was a unique time in my life. And, you know, winning the world championships there in Spain. And, and you know, I was like, well, cool. I don't know how I'm a world champion now, but I fucking am. It's fucking weird. <laughs> so now I got these things that are like building your your ego into like something else, like a, mm. you know. And eventually, I went down to you know Kamali, Turkey, and uh, and they had a pontoon in the in the middle of the river. Yeah, and it was like an eight by six pontoon that you got to land on. Not not a problem, but we were wingsuiting out this little microlite, and I was like, well, they. I don't know what it will be like if the water fills up the wingsuit if I miss. Mm. Yeah. And everyone else is like, no, well, don't miss then. Just land on the top. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, yeah, don't miss. But like my mind works in a different way. Because like, yes. I, I, I like to think even every base jump I do now, I try and talk myself out of the base jump. So I'm going, what's wrong? Yeah. I need to find, I'm, I'm looking for everything that's wrong. Yeah. But if there's nothing wrong and it's good to go, mm. then it's a good time to jump. Because like I've got, I, I've done it backwards where everyone else wants to jump and tries to rule out everything else. And then they rule out the things that are actually happening. Mm. Yeah. So I try and do that in a different way. And I try and teach people that way, you know, because it's, mm. it's a better way to, okay, well, nothing else can do now. And now I can, now I can jump. Um, so anyway, I looked at that and I was like, well, it's not a good idea. Um, so on the way up to where we were going to take off, I found a parking lot and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to land here. And they're like, but we're filming this show and you need to land here. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm landing here. Mm. So do what you need to do. And they're like, well, would you try and land on the pontoon? Mm. And I was like, well, it's parallel. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll open my parachute. I'll see where I'm at. Yeah. And if, it, if I feel good at that point, then I'll land and go there. But in my mind, I was thinking I'm going to land in this. Right. So there was a lot of things going on in my mind. I was like, well, I was, I was already not committed to this. <laughs> like, why not just say, sh you know, this is where I'm landing. Like, yeah. And I probably would have been okay. But then I was like mixed message in my mind and I wasn't really feeling it. Then I got onto the, you know, the, 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 the morning of the jump. And funny enough, I wasn't actually even meant to be on the jump. Mm. Yeah. That guy in the big yellow pants, Dukes. Yeah. It was him who's meant to be on the jump. Really? <laughs> so we all partied the night before. He was hungover. Um, couldn't wake him up and I was having breakfast and they're like, who wants to fly a wingsuit? And I was like, well, I'll, I'll do it. And mm. they're like, okay, jump on, let's go. So I forget my helmet and we're driving up and I was like, shit, I forgot my helmet. And they're like, you're not making us go back? And I was like, yeah, let's go back. Mm. And I was like, no, no, you know what? It's only a skydive, just keep going. Yeah, and then I was like, you know what, stop. Go back. Let's go and get my helmet. Yeah. And everyone's like, Jamie, make up your fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I need my helmet. I need my helmet. So I ran back. Yeah. And I grabbed my helmet 
and I ran in. Everyone's like, oh, now we're going to be late. The wind's going to be, it's tight. And I'm like, oh, so sorry, guys. Get, I was like, look, I'll go last. You guys mm. go go before me. Make sure you can get the windows. And and if I get a window, then, you know, whatever. Uh, so they all jumped and landed on the pontoon. Then it was my turn. I went up and I like, wasn't feeling right at all. I was like, so many, I, I have a rule of threes and I'll tell you that afterwards. But um, I was already on like the fourth thing that went wrong that morning. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know what? It's fine. It's just a skydive. Yeah. Because it's not really a base jump. And I jump out and my wingsuit inflated. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel right. And then it was like a little bumpy with a bit of wind up there. And I was like, well, it's all right. Like, it's fine. I'll just keep flying. And then I opened my parachute and I was like, I'm still not feeling it. Like, I, and I'm in the middle now of these two landing areas. I'm like, no, I'm going for the, the, the car park. Like, that's what mm -hmm. I committed. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm flying, I'm getting a bit of turbulence under my parachute. And then my, my wing is just like dropping lower down. I'm just like, why am I not making this? This is weird. So I look down and... I see like this little grassy field and it's like probably a hundred meters short of the actual car park. Mm. And I was like, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like you're well champion base job. You've landed on like a coin. Like mm. you can land on whatever you need to do. So I was like, yeah, perfect. So I spun it down and I land, come into land. And as I get down to like 50 feet, so you're like your finals coming in. I'm like, oh shit, that's not a grassy field. That's a boulder field. <sighs> Yeah, and it's got long grass coming out. So I'm like, oh, I got nowhere else to go. And I'm looking around, and it's just boulders everywhere. And I'm like, oh, so I see this huge boulder, probably the size of a car. And I was like, I'm gonna go for that. I'm gonna try and land on top of it. I can do it. Yeah, and it, I mean, it was my only real chance. I mm. uh, came into land, and there's a little bit more momentum coming. I had a bit more speed that couldn't wash it off. So as I like landed on this thing, my foot slipped. Mm. Yeah, it went down the rock, fell in between another rock, and the momentum carried me forward while my ankle was stuck between the two rocks. Oh. So my ankle went to like snap 90 degrees, mm -hmm. and then the rest of it, like my wrist, my femur, my elbow, my shoulder, smashed my head. So, And then, you know, you're, I was a medic at the time, so you know, from the army. So I sort of like looked down at my leg and I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, so I pull it out and it's just dangling 90 degrees. And mm. yeah, that moment I was like, well, I'm, fuck no, so these guys don't even know I'm here because they're all filming at the pontoon that's down on the river. Mm -hmm. And as I'm like assessing my legs, like it, you, you couldn't really tell it was a femur break because I broke it so high up. So it was in the pelvis and I'm thinking, oh, you're going to bleed out now. That's and, a hell of a break. Yeah, no one's going to, you know, my my pelvis was swollen and I was like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just going to die here. Mm. So I was like, but you, you're not just going to lie here. You're going to start trying to get out. So there was no way of, I didn't have a radio on me. Like, why, why didn't I have a radio? Like, these are, like all these things I'm going, well, why are you not doing the things that you said you would do? Mm -hmm. But like, the, it goes into like, my, my ego is so big. I was like, of course nothing's going to happen. It's fire, it's a skydive. Mm. Yeah. And eventually I was like, well, I guess you got to help yourself. So I started to try and crawl. Yeah, and it's probably the most agonizing half an hour of my life. Yeah, and I was screaming as loud as I could, but you know, I didn't know what else was going on, but everyone else was like, where's Jamie? Like, So they're frantically looking for me. They're driving up to the parking lot. They can't see me, mm. you know, and I'm in this boulder field, further field. And um, yeah, and I'm just, just screaming and crawling and eventually I get under this tree and I'm just like, well, uh, this is it. I can't go anymore. Literally, I can't move anymore. Like mm. I, I've given up and uh, finally I was like I laid there and I looked up at the you know, sky and I was like that's this is it I am finally failing at something 
pretty bad. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, it's been good. Uh, I was in so much, like the pain was unreal. And I was I in and out of consciousness? I don't know. Um, but I just remember like just crazy times. And yeah, I, I grew up Catholic. So I was like, well, you better, better say something just in case, you know. Mm -hmm. So I thought as you walk through the valley of shadow of death and mm -hmm. then I broke into Coolio. <laughs> <laughs> and I sung, <laughs> sung <laughs> I sung <laughs> Gangster's Paradise instead. Because <laughs> that one does stick in the head a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, so I sung that and I, I made myself laugh and I was like, okay, cool, this is fine. Um, and then luckily someone came across some Turkish guy and then I was shouting the mayor's name at him and then the, they called the mayor and then the mayor got the paramedics and then <clears throat> we the paramedics turned up and uh, four and a half hours later on a logging road, I was at a hospital and spent, I don't know how many days in a hospital over there. And then it took a long time and it was pretty gross because in Turkey, the family normally come and look after you. And mm. I didn't really have a family there because I was at a base jumping event. Mm -hmm. So we had to pay people to come and clean me and do stuff. The food was terrible. I was broken. The Turkish doctors put me together. Like they didn't really have the machines. Mm. Um, so they were like ramming me in. Like I was in a child's like MRI scanner. Yeah, but like my shoulders weren't fit. So they're like, pushing me into the machine. And uh, it, it's just crazy. Some of the things that, uh, you know, you see out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it is crazy. It's, it's a different world. Mm. Yeah, and I would describe it's like a, a really bad prison and I was on this bed. And over time I got back to the UK and spent 31 days in hospital in the UK as well. Um, Psychologically, what's that got to do to you? You're top of the world and now you're... I was nothing, you know, nothing. and I, you know, I, was, I was completely broken and, and realized that, well, I'm not invincible. You know, and at that point, you have to remember, like, I, I did all the cool stuff. Like, I was, I did all the stuff with 3Power. I was already through the SFSG stuff. I did all my counterterrorism, all the tours I did there that were associated, you know, we worked with B-Squadron SAS. Like, I we're kicking doors down nightly. I'm a base jumper, skydiver. Like, I've done it, like, a lot in my life. At this point, I'm lying now. I'm like, and now I'm just here. Mm. Now what? Now what? Like, they, they're telling me I might not even walk. You know, like my ankle was so messed up that they thought that it was, you know, there was discussion of having it amputated. And I'm like, mm. how did I go to Afghanistan and Iraq and not get blown up? And then I go base jumping and lose my leg. Like, Jeez. yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a heavy, heavy idea of what my life was going to be like. And I thought that was pretty much it. How'd you deal with that? <sighs> Who knows? Uh, I got through one day at a time and it goes back to, back to the training and just one day and see what happens, you know, and I just did, you know, just tackled each day at a time and just worked hard and did what the physio said and, and got it done. And over time it just got better. The pain didn't really go away. The pain still bugs me to this day, but yeah, it's just like, just, you just got to take one day at a time. Did it make you gun shy? No, I was very focused on getting back to base jumping. That yeah. luckily that was like my one goal to be like, this is this is what kept me going. Yeah, I was like, you need to get back to base jumping. You need to get back on the horse and and do it again. Yeah, because if you don't, you're, this is the end of your base jumping world. Yeah, but I did have a mindset of like something needs to change. 
Mm. Yeah, because my ego was the thing that fucked me on that jump. How'd you change it? Or did uh, it change it for you? It, that it changed it for me, but I also had to look back at everything, like, you know, and microanalyze everything I've ever said to someone. You know, mm. like, you're like, oh, wow, you, you did this. And I looked back at all these actions that I did leading up to this and interactions I had with people and arrogance and, and it's like, how do I fix this? You know, like how, you know, I've heard pe the things people say about you behind your back and you're like, well, how do I fix that? How do I become a better base jumper and how can I start a game? And then I was like, and then that's where the idea came from. It was like, how about I just start a game? Like literally from this moment, I start everything again. Everything. Everything. So we created a documentary called uh, Back to Basics. Um, and I wanted the the story to be like, okay, I was a uh, this ex paratrooper, SF, whatever it is that, you know, I was before, I now need to just start again, you know, and I'm going to then, you know, start from the crash. So it had a little bit of my past in, and then it goes back to the recovery. How do I deal with this mentally day in, day out, going to the swimming pool, doing all the exercises, and then learning to skydive again, learning to base jump, but doing it this way, doing it the proper way that you are meant to learn to base jump, not the way I did it before. Mm. Yeah, and then it got all the way back to actually jumping in front of a huge crowd uh, for a demo. And that was a six-part documentary series. So it was a bit of an existential crisis. It changed not just how you jump and how you approach, but how you approach life in general. Yeah, uh, I realized at that point how lucky I was to like not be a statistic on the base fatality list anymore. Like the, we have a list that, of how you know people base jumps and how they die, so we can learn from it. And I'm very surprised I wasn't on that list. No kidding. Yeah. And I like looking back at how lucky I am is like my name should have been there June thirty. 30th, 2013. That should have been my name next to it. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, you had to change. Like I had to change. If I was staying on that same trajectory, it was just not going to work. Like that, well, that's something, you know, I saw that video on, uh, someone posted up on Facebook. I think the guy's name was Danik Loyan, something like that. Uh, and he, they're out on a cliffside, looks like by a beach and one guy's parachute opens and the other guy's doesn't. And Splat down he goes. Oh, um, Dominic Loyan. Dominic, yeah. that's it. <clears throat> um, so, um, where the guys that'll do it without a parachute, he'll just land on the lake or in cardboard boxes or whatever. Th there's always, there's always something more you can do. It's like rock ju jumping off rocks into the water. Okay. It's scary, but I think I can do it. Okay. It hurt. It was a bit of a height, but, uh, but I'm good. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Oh, maybe I can go a bit higher. Maybe I can get a, go higher. There's always, where is that threshold? Where is that line when, like, do you still, I'm asking a bunch of questions. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you still feel, um, that anticipation? Like when I did my first jump off of just here in Chilliwack and a woodside and I'm just looking over the edge and it's like, okay, here I go. I'm going to do it. And he, like, you go through the process, but if you feel that's probably where the most nerve comes in and then I'm in the air. It's just like, this is, this is cool. This is really actually relaxing. Um, I should imagine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jumps that you've done. Do you start to lose that? And do you have to push it further to get that back or, or what? I, I, you know, people think that all the time you need to like push it to get to the next level. And, and 
for me, I went through like a really dark area of base jumping. Like I got hurt myself, but I also went through the following years of we lost a lot of people in wingsuit base jumping. You know, so we went through what we would consider the dark years of the sport, and a lot of people died. And our sport got a bad reputation of people dying all the time, mm. um, which just isn't the case for you know what actually happens is. Um, but yeah, do we push the limits? Like, yeah, people are going to push the limits. Like people want to try and be the, be you know, the next name, you know, the next famous name in our sport, mm. you know, being the, the guy who flies close to things. Mm. Um, but that only leads one way. Yeah. So for me, I like to, the way I like to do it is try and show people what's possible. You know, like I, I did bust myself up. I am now older. I'm not a young 20 year old base jumper anymore. Um, and I want to show people the beauty of the sport. Yeah, so now I'm interested on in showing like really nice pictures or really nice videos that are like shows the beauty of the sport rather than look how crazy I am. Look how look how close I am to the ground. Mm. Look at look what I can do that no one else can do. You know, it's not the shock value anymore. Like I you know, I I love what I do and if you took the cameras away I'd still be doing it. Mm -hmm. But I also have a love for sharing the things that I do and showing what is possible when you, when you focus on it. Um, and maybe I'm a, you know, I'm definitely an old base jumper now, you know, like there was the old saying when, when I started, you know, there's, there's old base jumpers and there's bold base jumpers, but there's no old and bold base jumpers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it just goes true now. And like, I, I definitely would consider myself an old base jumper and, and I look at the younger guys coming up and, and maybe you're like, Hey, like you're you're trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're doing what I did, yeah, and you're doing what someone else did before me, you know. And you, you there's only one way it's going to end, mm -hmm. you know. And you're teaching yourself, and now you're teaching other people, and it's just like, well, you're now surviving. You're not actually really learning the skills and the and what what you need to know. You need to you need to take a step back and actually really learn the sport because if you can learn the sport, it, it can be safe mm. you know like or you could be as safe as possible you know there's still a big danger factor to base jumping but sure yeah <clears throat> but if you you know it's a drill you know and if you can get every step of the drill right yeah then if an accident happens an accident is just an accident mm -hmm. but if it's if you if you're trying to tell me that it's an accident and i'm like well hold on a minute like this is a huge swish cheese effect like a, you didn't have anyone mentoring you. B, you're in the wrong gear. You, you're the wrong weight for the gear you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have no idea what you're doing. You haven't skydived. Like, yeah, and now you're trying to tell me this is an accident. Like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, Un, what do they call it? Unconscious, unconfidence, unaware. Oh yeah, the four levels, the four stages of uh, yeah learning. I'm, I'm in the uh, conscious incompetence stage myself <laughs> right now. I'm brutally aware of how much I don't know. When I first uh, looked at getting into just a little bit that I'm, I've been doing, I was supposed to be doing a podcast over in Chamonix and uh, the fellow who I was doing a podcast with, who's, it's been delayed. He had to open up a, a couple of businesses over in the UK and um, he's into paragliding and he's got a speed wing as well. And I thought, well, this is great. I'll pick this thing up. And when I go over there, I could just like see what he does and I'll follow beside him and, and we can go out and do a, um, do a jump. And I'm, I'm learning that no, maybe going to a place like that and it's going to take a little bit more practice before I get into it. But at least there's a conscious awareness on that Dunning-Kruger. Exactly. Sort of I was just going to say the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yes. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's very prevalent in a lot of 
a lot of things, not just sport, but mm. life in general. And people think that they they've done a little bit, and now they think they know more than they know. And totally, you know. And and it was interesting now as I consider myself on the other side of that Dunning Kruger effect. Like mm. I'm pretty experienced in the base jump world, and sometimes I question my my skill level. I'm like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Right. And you're like, and then everyone's like, well, of course you could do it. What are you talking about? And you're like. Yeah, yeah, I'm just on the other side now, sort of not doubting yourself, but questioning yourself. You overthink it because you yeah. know all so many more variables. Yeah, and yeah, now now I'm definitely older, and I look at those other variables, and I definitely don't base jump as much as I used to. Okay, um, but I still love it. Like if I I do one base jump a month now and buzz off that, you know, and it's amazing. Whereas other people still need to do their four a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> push, push, push. Yeah. Um, you're talking about uh, rule of threes. Oh yeah, so yeah, I have a, a rule of threes when it comes to base jumping. Like it, uh, and it could be anything. Uh, if I don't wait, if I miss my alarm, mm -hmm. that's one strike already on the morning of a base jump. Um, if the weather's not what it says it's going to be, yeah, that's another strike. And if I have a feeling, just a gut feeling, when I'm on the exit point. I'll just put my gear away and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't feel good. Yeah, and people will look at you and be like, but it's perfect conditions. Why are you not jumping? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, not not feeling it. And some people get a bit funny with you, but I'm pretty strict on my rule of threes now because if I'd listened to my gut feeling in 2013, I might not have got hurt. Because you're feeling it, weren't you? I was feeling it. I could have just said no, but I didn't. I just kept going. Because the ego gets in the way. Yeah. You don't want to look weak. You don't want to look like you're scared. Right? Yeah. And now I'm, I know I'm not scared. Mm. You know, I, I do things that are dangerous quite a lot of times. And I now know that I'm not petrified of these things. So when I do say like, no, I'm not feeling it, it's because I'm not feeling it. And I have to go by these these three rules. And And people might go, well, you just slept through your alarm. It doesn't matter. And it's just like, well, who knows? This might be a huge game we're in. And <laughs> mm -hmm. this, is, this is how we have to roll it out. So you're back to the sucking energy from other people when they, when they drop out. There is more to this thing that we have in life, <laughs> I think. And maybe it is a big game. You yeah. talk to Sean Taylor over and over again. We live in the matrix and he's yeah. got all these reasons why, but. Uh, hey, if people believe in religion, I don't see why we can't believe this is a simulation at times. <laughs> well, what do they say? The probability <laughs> that we're living in a simulation, either A, far exceeds the likelihood that we don't, or at the best case scenario, it's a 50-50. Yeah. Part of me still is, you know, like, hey, hey, I grew up religious and, you know, part of me also listen to these arguments about simulation and yeah. hey, like I'll hang on to the, the religious thing. Like when I was thinking I was going to die, I, I mean, I tried my best to say something to God, but before Coolio came, <laughs> before out. Coolio came in, so I, <laughs> my, my thoughts were there. Um, but also like if, if, if we are in a simulation, like, Hey, what's wrong with just trying to keep our player interested? Totally. Because, like I play video games and and I like playing it. And if, but if I get bored of this game, the bored of the player or whatever, I'm just going to turn it off. Mm -hmm. So just in case we are in a simulation, I'm trying to live an exciting life so that at least <laughs> the guy playing me is like, you know what? You know, the, he, he might actually be worth seeing where this goes. Oh, you know? I love so. that. <laughs> I love that mentality. Yeah. Awesome. We've talked about a fair bit. 
I know there's a lot more that we can touch on. <laughs> is there anything that we should touch on that we haven't? Oh, there's a lot. I don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> you know, you, you got a lot to share from your life experiences. You got stuff to share on the mental health side. You've got stuff to share on, uh, dealing with adversity and, uh, overcoming fear, feeling the fear, but doing it anyways. And that's what courage is, right? It's courage isn't the lack of fear. You can't have courage without fear. And from what it sounds like, you've had to display a fair bit of courage throughout your life in order to achieve these things that, that you have. It didn't just come because you had zero fear. No. And, and, and these things of like, especially like high adrenaline, high, you know, dopamine that you get through mm. life is like, sometimes it then takes it the complete opposite way, mm. you know? And I have found myself like pretty shortly after getting hurt, like in a really, really bad place. Yes. Yeah, a, I didn't have the support of my unit and granted at that time, if I'd been like, Hey dude, I like, I'm having a bad time. They'd probably laugh at me, you know, cause our mentality on mental health was not what it is today. Mm. Um, however, like, even though they would have laughed at me, you know, I, I would never said it to them like, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling it, mm. but I would, I would have been around them but I wasn't around them at the time because I was already out of the military. Mm. So I had no bond there. The bond that I had with base jumpers just wasn't the same that I had with the the paras. We didn't have the whole peak on me, the, the arduous Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever the stuff we went through. So, you know, I didn't have these people around me anymore. Um, and I couldn't, you know, life was very different mm. because things hurt. You know, my bones hurt, my, you know, I got metal in me. I can't run as much as I was. I just wasn't ever at the same level. So getting into like a really dark point in my life, like who knows what you want to call it today, depression, PTSD, whatever it, whatever it was, it was, it all came crashing down. And, you know, life thought about, you know, things with Brian, things about like all the other guys, John and Mark and everyone else who died on tours that I was on and, uh, things that I'd seen and and felt and other base jumpers I've watched die while doing my hobby. Like all these things were coming at me and I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Because I can't be the person I was and, you know, I've gone from being top of the world to to no one, you know, and, and that, the reality check was that you're not special. None of us are really special. Yeah, you can say you're part of a special force but you're not you're just a bunch of idiots that are rebels like mm. like a bunch of rebels a bunch of degenerates who can just push <laughs> through the pain mm. yeah mentally can, like, you can do stuff but there's it, 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 things separate and, and i did get to a really bad point in my life and, and i didn't really know how to get on with it so you know you did i did what i only knew how and did day by day yeah, and eventually someone, you know, was telling me about these uh, the, the psilocybin and, and microdosing, mm. and I was just like, no, nah, not interested. And they were like, no, dude, just just hear it out, and it's a new thing. It's it's gonna it's gonna help, and it will make you understand. I was like, I understand life right now. From the military, it's hardcore, no drugs. Right. Like, and I grew up, I didn't didn't take any drugs at all. Mm. And yeah, eventually I I listened to this guy, and I was like, okay, well let's. Let's see what happens then. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I got into trying this microdosing and and things started to like come together and try and like understand the things 
that I was doing in life and, you know, understanding the ego that I, you know, that I was putting out, the persona that I was, you know, portraying myself as. And I found that the ego and the persona and uh, the arrogance and everything else that I was portraying to everyone wasn't that I was an asshole and I was, a, you know, a horrible person, but this was my defense. Mm. I, I never really wanted you to know who I was. So my theory is I would much prefer that you think I'm an ass than mm. you know who I am. Because if you know who I am, you'll see the weak side of me. Yeah, and you'll see the soft side and you'll see the you know, the care, like the things that I, you know, I'm upset about, like me losing like my mentor in life very at an early age. And, you know, that, that really affected me. And, you know, being dumped by your mother, like, that affected me. Like there's, there's plenty of things in this life, like me being injured and not being able to run as much as I used to before, that affected me. So it's like all these things, and I never wanted you to see it. I still wanted you to see that, that tough guy that, uh, is a base jumper not scared of anything and you know an ex-military dude that just doesn't care like and and this is where the microdosing actually helped and it's sort of been like you know what people don't really care they're you know you think they care mm -hmm. but they don't they're only caring about their own problems yeah they're not really focusing on you yeah they might bitch and moan at you and be like ah oh, you're doing this but it's just mirroring their problems so true yeah it's not you and that's what the whole psilocybin sort of thing has, uh, has helped me and it sort of re-put me back on a path to try and like get my life back in order and and I think that's what what helped and restarting again in Canada is you know like doing the doing the microdosing leading up moving to Canada uh, and then starting again over here has completely transformed like the way things are like I, I feel like the life I had before doing like military contracting the military base jumping, whatever else, it's a different life. Like mm. I felt like moving to Canada, I've like drawn a line in the sand and it's just like, I'm starting again. Back to basics. Back to basics. You know, we, um, you've been on a collective, I believe, have you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you, you know, Sean. Yep. Talking with Sean there and I was in his house doing a podcast and you know, similar mentality. He's like, you know, I, I don't like medication. I don't, you know, if I got a headache, I don't like to take stuff. I don't do meds because he was talking about PTSD and, and how he came to learn he had it and that whole story. And, and he says, oh yeah, but you know, I microdose, <laughs> <laughs> but hold on a second, like from, you know, s similar upbringing and raising as yourself and. Well, you just said you don't like drugs, but you microdose. Oh yeah, there's, and he lists off a couple other things that he's, uh, he's done in the past. Uh, and Sonny, you know, Sonny. Yeah, uh, Sonny. Right. Heroic heart, heroic hearts. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be a hell of a lot of science that's going behind it. A lot of, um, uh, a lot of research. I know my uh, wife went to the, uh, naturopath. I'm like, Going to the naturopath, can you ask some questions for me? Like, is there any like lion's mane? Like if I want to be able to remember things when I'm doing a podcast, if I want to be able to recall stuff, cause I always have difficulty with that. Is there stuff in the, uh, uh naturopaths, like she's a doctor and she says, well, you know, there's, there's limited research in that, but, uh, unless she's looking at microdosing, there's a lot of research over there. So it's interesting that you bring that up. Well, it's, it's funny. I, I read somewhere the other day that there's actually been more studies in microdosing and how much, how the benefits of microdosing psilocybin has been than ever was for legalizing cannabis in Canada. Really? Yeah. 
Interesting. Yet we're still trying to legalize psilocybin. And, you know, like, uh, and I, that that struggles with me because I, I believe in it. Like, and I'm not just saying it because it's like, oh, it's a drug, it helps you. understand. like, microdosing doesn't actually do anything. Mm. If you take it and you're like, well, it's not doing anything. Well, of course it's not doing anything. You have to do it. Like, you have to still, like, your brain just, like, the only way I describe it to, like, layman terms is parts of my brain have shut off, like, to protect myself and try and get off. So I, I feel like in my brain that there's a door and I've shut that door because I don't want the bad stuff to come through that door. Mm. Yeah. Psilocybin sort of, especially the microdosing where you don't actually feel, you don't trip, you don't, nothing. You don't, you have no feelings of if you did any sort of drug like you would if you're smoking weed or anything like that. So, mm. you know, but I feel like that door gets cracked. Mm. Door gets cracked open and a few things come out and in your brain you can sort of work out those little things. And, over time, yeah, you just take those things out and you're like, oh, yeah, no, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I can use that to become a better person. You know, like your your mother, you know, she dumped you on the side of a highway, but it's not like it's not your fault. Mm. But what can you do? Like it, it, it might not even be her fault. You know, like she had issues herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly. Like no normal person does that. Mm-hmm. So there must be issues. Do I forgive her? Like, no. But I can understand that something else was going on. Yeah. And I have a little bit of compassion for her, whatever she had to go go through. But it should never have occurred to, it should never have got to this point. Mm. But I need to understand that. Now, I, you know, I can't deal with her, but I can deal with my own feelings towards that situation. And being dumped there is like, well, what does that mean to me now? And now I can like look back and be like, what can strengthen that today? And then I can take the next thing out and look through the next part of my life and try and build these blocks into building a better me. And it's just like, it only ha- it's only going to work if you actually put time and effort into trying right. to understand your past and trying to be a better person. But if you're not into that, then it's going to be hard. Like you're just taking microdose and you're going to feel better and you're going to have a better life. But you also need to like look back at your problems and try and put it all together. How I've heard it referred to is just similar to what you've said there, or it's like fresh snowfall, like all these tracks down the mountain and there's a fresh snowfall and it covers it over and you can start taking whatever track you want. You can make, you don't have to be uh, confined to the ruts, but um, essentially it helps you get to a place where you no longer need to microdose. So you don't all, you don't, it's a non-dependent sort of thing. Yeah. I don't like nowadays I don't microdose. Right. Yeah. Like it's been... Like back then it was quite regular and I read up of like how much is too much? Like what's, what am I doing? You know, like, mm. and I, I looked into it and I was very f- like stuck to microdosing to try and uh, keep going. And then eventually when I was like, well, do I need this anymore? Mm. You know, so I, w- you know, came off it. Then I was like, well, I think I need, it's just like, it was back and forth for a, a few years. And then eventually, you know, got back to like, I don't think I need this anymore. I don't need you know, I, I'm good enough to look back at my own past now and go, that's, I'm doing this wrong. Or even the things that I'm doing presently. Mm. Like I do things presently and I'm like, oh, fuck, I should not have said that. <laughs> 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 I should not have done that. And I should have known better. And then I go back and I like fit there. And, and maybe now that's why I use Instagram rather than like, <laughs> so the side of it, I go back and I'm like, 
what should I do? Okay. And if I write it down and find a really cool picture to go with it, that's mm -hmm. how my Instagram gets done these days. That's so awesome. Nowadays, it's like, it's what I'm thinking on Instagram. It's like, how do I make myself better from the thing, the dumb things I'm doing during my day to day, which is essentially what the, the microdosing has done. That's amazing. Jamie, maybe we should wrap it here. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I do have a lot more questions that I'd like to ask and go through, but, uh, I think it's lunchtime. I'll buy you lunch. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks very much for being on the Silver Core podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome.